0: Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that fast
1: Yes, i a baby in the Tim, I'm going to start right off the bat with you. What is the Dark web? So, the, the dark
0: Ooh, web is, is a really collection of uh, from websites August, that um, are set up so that it's impossible uh, to tell, impossible, very difficult Same. to tell um, who runs them, okay. um, where and they're located. Libertarians so are fiscally conservative. And, 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 and a, a, socially, the they really, really don't give a damn as, as you don't um, force your way way. So that to it's the I do not believe in the death penalty. The Tor network is actually very The core network, is concept
1: of traffic server and having a person server only knows yeah. The, yeah. the server active. Yeah. Um, yeah. i There's a, a drug that's really yeah. the yeah. um, Also known as Ecstasy. Yeah. Or to see an Ecstasy coming in the, the oh, game is, again, you're listening to the true crime dumpster podcast with hosts amy and
0: i am kevin
1: and we are coming back at you with episode 27 the dark web and the birth of the digital silk road this is another quarantine edition of course and we're gonna be going that way for a little while so just hang tight folks keep your masks on yeah because they're not coming off anytime soon. I just don't ever leave the house, so I don't really put any on. So, anyways. I
0: have to wear a hazmat suit, basically, just to give somebody some pork chops.
1: I know. Some, something that we didn't even mention last week is episode 26 means that we've been doing this for a half a year. Because that's exactly half of a year. Crazy, huh?
0: You're right. I but know. But it, it was a leap year.
1: It's... That doesn't really change 52 weeks. It's 52 <laughs> weeks plus one day. <laughs> so over the next few weeks, we are going to be talking about the dark net or the dark web, as it's sometimes called, and some of the things that have gone on there.
0: It's a scary place.
1: It is a scary place. The story that we are going to pay the most attention to is the one of Ross Ulbricht, a.k.a. the Dread Pirate Roberts, among many other pseudonyms that we'll get into later, Ross is credited as the founder, administrator, and shot caller of the Silk Road, an online black market and the first modern dark net market, best known as a platform for selling illegal drugs. And I guess I should say that all allegedly, which we'll obviously get into later.
0: He was allegedly the shot caller?
1: Allegedly. You know, it's, it's a very interesting case. I started to do this thing where I was like, I'm just going to read the book and just report on the book. And then I listened to a podcast about it from the true crime guys from like two years ago, and actually started listening to that first. And then they told me, go read the book, go watch the documentary. And so I'm like I'm just going to read the book and then I was like, "Oh, now I got to watch the documentary cuz I got super into it."
0: <laughs> it's a crazy story. It's a
1: really crazy story and the documentary is very biased. The book presents itself as unbiased, but I mean, it's it's a it's a twisty road to go down. The Silk Road was not a not a flat easy road to go down, I guess.
0: Well, it's crazy. We'll get into it, but this guy he's a smart dude.
1: Yeah, but was he a pawn?
0: We'll find out.
1: Yeah, well, and one of the reasons actually this story came up to to do one, I kind of wanted to do one that wasn't exclusively about murder. But as you guys will see, murder will definitely come into this, allegedly.
0: You can buy <laughs> it on the dark web.
1: Murder? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you're going to talk about that. With the side of fries. But also, you know how they're letting out nonviolent criminals and stuff during like COVID-19. And they're also letting out rapists and all kinds of people. They have not let Ross Ulbricht out, and a lot of people are pretty pissed about it because, technically speaking, he was not convicted of any murderous crimes. And again, I don't want to totally spoil the story or anything in case you haven't heard it, but he is still in prison at this point. And I think he has a Twitter. (laughs) I started, like, kind of following him on twitter i don't know if it's actually him or if it's like a friend you know acting as him or what but he is still in prison at this point he did not get let out you know his parents have both said if you give him an ankle monitor and we give you some money as like a a bond or whatever we'll make sure he stays in the house and doesn't have access to anything you know we just want him to be safe here because What's, like, the percentage of people just out and about, it's, like, less than 0.02% that are getting infected. I, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's a very small percentage of people that are getting infected.
0: Yeah, no one knows what the real numbers are because... Well,
1: but the prison numbers are, like, 9% or something crazy. Yeah. It's way easier There's to get... There
0: was a riot at a prison in, uh, where was it, like, a Ohio or something. It was a couple weeks back.
1: Yeah, and so, like, that's why a lot of people are very vocal about making sure that this guy who is technically a nonviolent criminal serving a life sentence should be let out during this time so that he doesn't get infected. But that hasn't happened yet or probably ever will. So in order to understand Ross's crazy story, it's important to understand all of the pieces and what the pieces of the puzzle actually are, which I didn't know too much about until I started researching it. Most of my source material for the background information comes from just a simple Google search, which (laughs) you can find a lot of things with a simple Google search, as you guys will find out, as well as a 2015 documentary called The Deep Web, which is narrated by Keanu Reeves. And (laughs) it's hard to take it somewhat seriously knowing that like Keanu Reeves, I keep imagining him being like. Be excellent, dude. You know,
0: (laughs) Yeah, it makes me think of like the Matrix, which I still haven't seen. But
1: oh, that's right. Yeah, I guess there is the kind of that's probably why he did it. I don't know. I I also think he's a fair he's a proponent. He's one of those like celebrity proponents of Ross Ulbricht, who believes that he should be shown clemency and let go or, you know, shown some mercy and given a reduced sentence. But there's, there's a lot of people who believe that he shouldn't be serving a life sentence. And I believe. Yeah, he's one of them.
0: Is Keanu, is he a... Libertarian? Yeah.
1: Maybe. I have no idea. We also got a lot of the pro-Ross stuff from there as well, because like I said, I won't say the book is anti-Ross, but the book is assuming that the FBI, the DEA, the you know Homeland Security, NSA, those kinds of organizations, their reports are fairly accurate. And he he does, like, interviews with a lot of, like, law enforcement and goes by the court case. So assuming that that is mostly factual, that's where the book is coming from. The documentary is coming from very much a pro-Ross stance, and his parents are extensively interviewed for it. He would have been interviewed for it as well. Like, he supports the film, obviously, but... He's in such a high security prison situation that they weren't able to interview him. But like I said, the book that we are using is a New York Times bestseller called American Kingpin, the epic hunt for the criminal mastermind behind the Silk Road. And that's by Nick Bilton. And it's an excellent book. We're both reading or we both read the audiobook, or I read it. You're reading. I'm it.
0: still reading.
1: Yeah. And it's going to take us a couple of weeks to to go through this full story and give it really the due process that it deserves. So here's your vocabulary lesson for some of the things that work. I kind of want to separate the different kinds of internets in case you didn't know there was more than one. And also to give a little background information so that as we're telling the story, it's not confusing. So the first thing, and I did not know this, but the web as we know it which is called the visible web or the quote unquote surface web, is a portion of the World Wide web that we readily see and is available to the general public and is searchable with standard web search engines. That is 10% of the internet.
0: <laughs> 10%. Yeah.
1: It is the opposite of the deep web, which is what the name of the documentary is. The part of the web that is not indexed by a web search engine. The deep web, also known as the invisible web or hidden web, are parts of the world wide web whose contents are not indexed by standard web search engines. So for instance, when you go into your bank account or when you go into your webmail and stuff, it's not like I can just search for your email and find all your emails. Like they're password protected, right? Like
0: encrypted and stuff.
1: Yeah, they're password protected. Right. So I can't just search somebody's email without having the password. So that's like the deep web, meaning like these aren't nefarious websites or anything. It's just password protected things that you can't just readily see with a simple Google search. Again, your web mail, online banking, private or otherwise restricted access to social media pages, etc. That makes up pretty much the rest of the Internet. There are also websites that are protected by paywalls. Obviously, like pornography websites, certain videos, streaming services, right? Those things are password protected, or you need to pay to see. It's like looking under the hood of the internet.
0: So you, there's not like a browse feature. You can't just browse. You have to. Have you can't like,
1: just find it by doing a Google search. You have like, to have like
0: addresses and st- like you know. Yeah,
1: or passwords. The hidden area of the deep web. So there's the surface web, the deep web, and then there's another layer. And the hidden area of this deep web is called the dark web or the dark net, which is where we're going to be kind of talking about most of our stuff today. You can't just accidentally stumble onto the dark web. You have to access it using a web browser or software service called Tor. And there's a couple others, but Tor is really the one... ...that most people talk about and know about. It was originally developed by the U.S. military, which is now an open and publicly sourced web browser. The dark web forms a small part of the deep web, the part of the web not indexed by web search engines, although sometimes the term deep web is mistakenly used to refer specifically to the dark web... Which gets a little confusing, but like I said, we're really just going to be focused in the dark web. So it's the, it's the sub-sub-web that we're talking about.
0: The bottom of the bottomless Pit.
1: Yes. The darknets, which constitute the dark web, include small friend-to-friend peer-to-peer networks, as well as large popular networks such as Tor, Freenet, I2P, and Rifle, operated by public organizations and individuals, Users of the dark web refer to the regular web as clearnet due to its unencrypted nature. The Tor dark web or onion land uses the traffic anonymization technique of onion routing under the network's top level domain suffix dot onion. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So what it also does is when you use a Tor browser, what it does is it, do you know what an IP address is?
0: Yeah. So it's like a VPN, right? It's like a virtual uh, whatever. Um.
1: <laughs> exactly. So what it does is it basically bounces around the signal. So like if I log in to a Tor browser and then I'm touring the dark web at home, it's no one's going to be able to get my ip address cuz it's bouncing around to all of these computers all over the world right. like to austria and to iceland and down to the dominican you know it's going to be bouncing around so that you can't get an accurate ip address for where i'm logged in at which is why which is what makes it so anonymous and that's exactly. how they encrypt yeah. it yeah so the dark web allows users to remain anonymous through encryption this is attractive to anyone involved in illegal activity such as child pornography, sex trafficking, illicit drugs, or counterfeit goods. But it can also be helpful for anyone living in an authoritarian state wishing to communicate with the outside world, as well as providing a safe space for whistleblowers. So while it's not illegal to visit the dark web, it does provide access to illegal activities. However, criminals are only a small population of those who use it. Like I said, there are people like whistleblowers, privacy advocates, people who just like, are like, get the fuck out of my business, you know? Journalists and dissidents that use it as a safe way to communicate and get information that they might not otherwise be able to. Because there are countries who censor parts of the internet, right? And so this is... And, like and, ours. We're not as bad as China or other places, Kevin. No, but... okay, We I live mean, in a fairly free country, okay?
0: Uh, well, yes, we... Sort of do, but
1: yeah, I know during this whole COVID 19, there actually has been a lot more censorship than I think that we're used to. But part of it too is that YouTube and a lot of those video hosting services, they're privately owned companies and they can do whatever the fuck they want. So if they feel like there's a harmful video out there that is not based in fact and is making things unsafe for other people. They have the fucking right to pull that shit. There's other video hosting websites. Vimeo is another one that uh when YouTube wasn't willing to carry certain videos, Vimeo was like, yes, you can you can host it here, that's fine. These are hosts. Make your own host then if you don't want to be censored, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean there are some other like bit shoot and stuff like that, but they're not as user friendly. Yeah.
1: yeah. But I'm just saying, like, it's your right to say what you want, but it's also companies' rights to take those things off that they feel like that they don't agree with. You know, I'm just saying, like, I'm not totally like defending censorship or anything, but also there are things that maybe should be censored like child pornography. Like I have
0: absolutely
1: right. So I'm just (laughs) saying that there are exceptions, right? Yeah, we shouldn't censor any everyone, but maybe snuff films Just and the child yeah. but there's But it, really, when you start going down that rabbit hole, there's a lot of things that are fucked up on the internet that should be censored to some degree, you know?
0: Well, that's why we have the dark web.
1: Websites that exist on the dark web are encrypted and therefore difficult to track. There is no Google for the dark web because that kind of indexing would provide a breadcrumb trail for investigators. Another layer of anonymity involves the way payments are processed. The Silk Road, for example, which we are going to be talking about this episode, only accepted payment through Bitcoin, which is an unregulated cryptocurrency. As with the dark web, generally, there's nothing illegal about using Bitcoin, but the anonymity of Bitcoin payments is attractive to those making illegal transactions. Bitcoin is a technology that uses a cryptographic code to create a digital currency. It's not totally anonymous. Well, it's not, only, it's not totally anonymous to a degree, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later on. But because it works outside of governments and banks, it makes it an ideal currency for a website like the Silk Road.
0: Bitcoin was created in 2009 by an anonymous computer programmer or a group of programmers known as Satoshi Nakamoto as a response to the recession of 2008, which was fueled by greed and banks putting their own interests before the interests of the people whose money they were managing. And you all probably remember that.
1: Unless you're 12 and listening to this, which you were born very recently, and that's weird. Stop and you listening must to this be podcast. very intelligent.
0: <laughs> Bitcoin is intended to be money outside of our banking and financial system. It's a currency and a payment network.
1: So there's like the American dollar is the currency and the payment network is something like Visa or PayPal or Venmo or something, right? So Bitcoin has both of those things together.
0: Right. So it's its it's own currency and the delivery system to trade. Bitcoins are created as a reward for a process known as mining.
1: That got real confusing. We don't know what we're talking about entirely here. We're not smart enough for Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, my understanding (laughs) of how Bitcoins are mined isn't... Yeah. It doesn't exist. We're learning with you. (laughs) Bitcoins can be exchanged for other currencies, products, and services, like drugs.
1: But also legitimate websites. What were some of the ones that they were saying? I think Amazon even accepts Bitcoin. Like, a lot of websites do.
0: On May twenty second, 2010, now known as Bitcoin Pizza Day, Laszlo Hanyecz agreed to pay 10,000 bitcoins for two delivered Papa John's pizzas on the Bitcoin talk forum. So, quote, he said, I'll pay 10,000 bitcoins for a couple of pizzas, like maybe two large ones, so I have some left over for the next day. I like having leftover pizza to nibble (laughs) on later. You can make the pizza yourself and bring it to my house or order it for me from a delivery place. But what I'm aiming for is getting food delivered in exchange for bitcoins.
1: (laughs) Like us, he did not understand the severity of bitcoins. Like it was, I think at the time, 10,000 bitcoins, like this is crazy. At the time, 10,000 bitcoins 10 years ago was worth $41.
0: So it could get you two pizzas.
1: $41. That's crazy. So the dude who ended up getting him the pizzas, which you're gonna tell us about, he said he got a deal because he was like, oh, crazy. I can get two Papa John pizzas for $25. I'm basically making like 15 bucks because I'm getting 41 Bitcoin in, you know. Yeah, change. In change, Yeah, in, in exchange.
0: Virtual change.
1: So like... That's how not serious, like, people were kind of taking it at the time, I guess, to some degree. But essentially, I mean, it was $41 in U.S. currency.
0: So a British man took up, what's his name? Laszlo Hanyeks. He took up this dude's offer and bought the two pizzas for him in exchange for the 10,000 bitcoins. As okay, of, ready, get ready yeah. for
1: this, y'all, okay?
0: As of today, one Bitcoin equals $8,643.40 in USD, which means those two pizzas oh my God. today <laughs> would be worth around $87.3 million. <laughs>
1: that is so much fucking money. That's insane.
0: Yeah, that's crazy.
1: I know, 10,000 Bitcoins, He, there's absolutely n- Obviously, no way he could have known it was going to be worth that much today.
0: Yeah, I think with a few weeks back when the stock market was, you know, crashing,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. um, I think Bitcoin did pretty well during that whole thing.
1: Yeah, when I was listening to that podcast, the True Crime Guys, which I think is about a year and a half or two old, they were saying at the time... That bitcoins were worth about three or four thousand dollars, so it's even doubled just in the last two years. That's fucking crazy.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a push, and it's going to happen to go to an all digital uh, currency system. Uh, And you know, we don't know if it's going to be a one world currency system, which is kind of like go, you know, getting into like some biblical end time shit. Um, There's a lot of crazy stuff going on. But um, Bitcoin is the first blockchain currency delivery thing. There's a bunch more now that are like completely anonymous, I believe. But yeah, 87 fucking million dollars. I know. <laughs> so some examples of dark Web crimes. Any type of crime with covert transactions, whether it involves drugs, money or even human beings, can be committed on the dark Web. The darkest corners of the Internet are merely a platform for a number of offenses. But here are some examples of dark web crimes. We've got Murder for Hire.
1: And we're not recommending these websites or places or services. We're just listing them. Yeah, so yeah. I just want to put that out there. <sighs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, this is a little flight menu. So you've got a, <laughs> just a little uh, sample dish. So you can try them all. Murder for Hire. So check out this site. Uh, Bessa Mafia.
1: Check out this site. It's not totally being spied on by NSA.
0: Yeah, it's not a CIA front. So this is a marketplace for contract killings.
1: You don't say.
0: I did say. Blackmail, extortion. It's another favorite. One scam involves threats of releasing compromising photos of affairs, even when no such photos exist.
1: Also, I think that there's a lot of room there for one thing that we talked about the other day. Just between me and you when we were watching something, which is... Revenge porn? Yeah. Yeah. That's fucking gross and terrible. But (laughs) I bet the dark web is definitely a place where... Absolutely. You can, unfortunately, almost, like, market that, right?
0: I'm sure they market snuff videos and all that shit on there, too. Fuck. The abyss is deep. We've got illegal arms sales. Tens of thousands of dollars worth of guns are illegally sold each month on the dark web according to estimates, and it's probably way higher than that. Uh, sex trafficking, duh. That's probably the biggest crime, because it turns out half the world are fucking pedophiles, and then half of them are actual pederasts. What the fuck's going on? Terrorism. You can, you can buy terrorism. <laughs> ISIS and other terrorist groups use the dark web for both recruitment and planning attacks. And then, last but not least, child porn. But an estimated 144,000 individuals in Britain alone were using the dark web to access child porn in 2018. That's a lot of motherfuckers. And that's just Britain.
1: You know. God, I don't even know what it would be for the U.S. I must have gotten that from a British website.
0: Yeah. But for the next few weeks, we're just going to focus on the crime of illegal drug sales from the website The Silk Road which generated $1.2 billion in sales and had nearly 960,000 users on the site by the time authorities seized it in 2013. At the head of the ship was a young man turned pirate named Ross Ulbricht. Ross Ulbricht was born March 27th, 1984.
1: So he's only like a month younger than me.
0: Younger than you, huh? Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: To parents Lynn and Kirk Ulbricht, who now live in Costa Rica. He has an older sister named Callie.
1: Who, she lives in Australia, and she'll come up later in the story.
0: The parents earn most of, if not all of their income, buying, renovating, and renting out eco-friendly homes in Costa Rica. Ross grew up very comfortably, right in the middle class bracket in Austin, Texas. He showed an early aptitude for math and science. He became an Eagle Scout like his father and loved the outdoors. He eventually earned a full-ride scholarship to the University of Texas at Dallas studying physics. He graduated in 2006 and got another full-ride scholarship to Penn State to pursue a master's in material science and engineering. Working on research to verify rare properties in crystalline materials and worked in Spintronics and pharaohic materials.
1: (laughs) Shit that is way more advanced than I understand. Sort of like Bitcoin.
0: I thought you took a Spintronics class at the gym. (laughs) It was really at Penn State that Ross really formed his political and philosophical views. He became part of clubs and organizations that echoed his interest in libertarianism, specifically the work of L- Ludwig,
1: Ludwig, yeah,
0: Ludwig von Mises, in the Austrian school of economics. It's funny that I can't say that because I swear I have a Ludwig drum set. Ludwig, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> Ross also meets his longtime love Julia Vi, who is a central character. In I think it all might be this. V. Fucking
1: <laughs> sorry, Damn it. It could be Vi. I don't know
0: probably V. Ross failed some entrance exams to get into his PhD program, which is why he didn't progress further there. Some have said that it was because he was so into clubs at Penn State, like the NOMO Club, an African drumming group, the College Libertarians, which were a libertarian club that met weekly to debate and discuss economic, philosophical, and politically...
1: Political principles.
0: Yes, that. (laughs) Of their choosing. He and the club believed that everything from what you do with your life to what you put in your body should be up to each individual, not the government. And I'd have to agree. To some extent. Your body's your temple. Desecrate at will. (laughs) He also became obsessed with the idea of living on nearly nothing. He lived in someone's basement for free and had cardboard boxes as furniture and only wore hand-me-down clothes.
1: The room also had two large garbage bags in it, one for clean clothes and one for dirty. He boasted to Julia, and this is the place he actually brought her back to, like, on their first date.
0: (laughs) Kind of like when we first met.
1: Kind of. He boasted to Julia that he had once lived off of a can of beans and a bag of rice for an entire week. Just because he could, he kind of liked to push himself. Bragging rights. It's interesting because, like, it's it's seemingly that like he's poor, right? Right. Like he's got cardboard boxes and garbage bags as furniture. Basically, he hasn't bought anything in forever. But then at the same time, he owns a house at this point. He saved up all of that money that he would normally, you know, use to for rent or buying things. And he bought a house in Pennsylvania, like a shitty house in Pennsylvania, Uh and he was renting it out, and that was his income.
0: It totally reminds me of my buddy Uh, Dave. Dave,
1: (laughs) Dave, yeah, Beckelhide. Yeah, Yeah. oh, whoops, I just outed him. (laughs) But, like, just that idea of, yeah, like, if you live super frugally, you can own other shit and actually be kind of secretly wealthy almost.
0: Undercover shot caller.
1: Yeah, which is his whole life. After they started dating, Julia took him shopping and bought him new clothes that fit him properly. And she wouldn't be embarrassed to be around him. However, his passionate spirit, thrifty charm, and extreme intelligence kept her interested. After graduating with his master's degree, he convinced Julia... This, is, this part's kind of a bummer. He convinced Julia to drop out of school and then move back with him to Austin, Texas. Because he was like very much in love with her. At this point, I think maybe they'd been together for a year or two. I don't think – she definitely wasn't close enough to, like, graduating from college, and he didn't want to stay around much longer. So when they moved back to Austin, Texas, he – in the documentary, it says that he started Good Wagon Books, but in the book, it said it was his friend that started it and that he just kind of jumped on to help him. So I believe the book more than the documentary. And the documentary actually gets a couple of facts pretty wrong, I believe, So Good Wagon Books was started by Ross's friend, and he kind of jumped on to help him because it was just something to do. And basically what they would do is they would take a wagon and go around the neighborhood and just ask for free books from people. And then they would sell them online. And Any books that, like, I guess didn't sell, they would actually donate to the local prison. Yeah. And so it was this idea of Goodwagon Books. It's kind of like how organization like the Goodwill or the Salvation Army operates, which is based on donations. Right. And then it does some good for the community as well. However, this isn't something Ross would want to pursue forever. Nonetheless, he was happy where he was at. Ross and Julia were happy living together in downtown Austin. She had a relatively successful boudoir photography business called Vivian's Muse, And she operated out of their apartment. Do you know what boudoir photography is? Our friend Raul does it.
0: Ooh la la. Well, let our listener know. I'm sure Dracula is very interested.
1: (laughs) Boudoir photography is usually women. If men do it, it's very, very, very rare. Women who want sexy pictures of themselves oftentimes for their husbands for like an anniversary present or something. So they'll get scantily clad or nude oftentimes or nearly nude and pose with like a boa or like pose on a lacy whatever. You know, I you had you had it's some like, boudoir yeah, it's photographs. Like those
0: photos that my ex girlfriend left out for you. <laughs>
1: So before Kevin and I started dating, I house sat for him and his girlfriend, or at the time, now Um, (laughs) ex-girlfriend. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. (laughs) But yeah, she had left out some dirty, dirty photos of herself that were so gross. I mean, like, I'm sure they were great to you. (laughs) But that's a weird thing to leave out knowing that you have a house sitter coming over.
0: Yeah, don't forget to feed the cats and check out these
1: s- sexy
0: <laughs> boobs.
1: They were pretty funny. Like, they were all, they were natury.
0: Well, she's.
1: And they're bushy, if you get what I mean.
0: Bushy boobs. <laughs> she the hairy chest.
1: So that's boudoir photography. And apparently she did very well with it. And she seems like a really lovely girl. I feel really bad. She gets put in some shitty positions. I hope, I hope that I, the, I don't know. I just, she seems like she came from a little bit of a troubled home or a difficult home. I think her mother passed away when she was fairly young. She's mixed race, African American, and I think just had a difficult time fitting in many places where she was at later on she'll have a little bit of a revelation and she'll seem much happier later down the line in the story but part of that is because I think she thought that Ross and her were getting back together and so I think her happiness is kind of based on that and then some shit goes down obviously so like I do feel very bad for her because I feel like She just kind of got the shit end of the stick in the story a lot. But she seems like a really awesome individual. And there is part of me that just wishes that he would have just let her stay behind at Penn State to finish her degree. That maybe she just would have been better off that way. Yeah. So at the same time, he's working for Good Wagon Books. She's doing her photography business out of their apartment. And he's filling all these orders online and stuff. They get into a TV show called Breaking Bad. (laughs) Where he starts to get some ideas.
0: I wonder how many how many entrepreneurs that show spawned. <laughs> oh,
1: God, yeah. <laughs> and we'll talk about when he kind of turns into Heisenberg later on. The friend that ran the bookstore moved away, and Ross kind of kept it up as a favor to him. That's what it explains in the book, at least. All while dreaming up an online marketplace where you could buy or sell literally anything you wanted to with no government interference or regulation. However... The technology wasn't quite there yet. Bitcoin hadn't been created or it wasn't really popular quite yet. And Ross was a scientist. He wasn't a computer engineer or a computer software designer or a code person. You know, that was not he'd not taken classes in that. He was not an expert in that. In the summer of 2010, he learned about the anonymity uh, and power of Bitcoin and sat down at his laptop to actualize his dream. He wanted to create a truly free and open marketplace online where people from all over the world could buy anything and everything, things they currently couldn't get their hands on because of the restrictions of their governments, most importantly, drugs. He wanted to cripple and petrify government power, legalizing drugs as a way to stop violence and oppression in the world. If his idea worked, it could change the very fabric of society forever, or that's what he believed. He was an idealist. He truly felt that, like, if he could be successful with his website, that the government would just relinquish control. Just be like, oh, Ross, yeah. th- thanks for doing that. Now we can just make all drugs legal now. Yeah. Thanks. The thanks CIA for starting that. The thanks
0: you because that's how they fucking get all their fucking but, money.
1: Yeah, and that's where I think that He is truly the creator of Silk Road, and I don't think he denies that part of kind of dreaming it up, because these are very much the ideals of a true libertarian.
0: Yeah, he is libertarian as fuck.
1: Yeah, and you can find videos of him on YouTube espousing his ideas on a true free marketplace and libertarian ideas and stuff.
0: They say the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right?
1: And he had some of the best intentions ever. Not only was this a money-making scheme in a truly libertarian way, but it could free people too. There were millions of people in jail cells across the country because of drugs, mostly inconsequential drugs like weed and magic mushrooms. He put full blame on the government for these nonviolent criminals being locked away from their families— what right did the government have telling people what they could and couldn't do with their bodies?
0: Well, it's also an industry, right? So they get money per prisoner. So if they keep the prisons full,
1: and that's something that they severely talk about in the documentary, which is the amount of capitalism and the amount of industry that's wrapped up in our correction systems. That's a nice way of putting it in our prison industrial complex. There you go. And it's it just makes too much money. Yeah, like in, it's I, all think, by I think I think it was like in 2013 or something. I forgot what statistic they gave because the the documentary is from 2015. They said something like the corrections that corporation, the corrections whatever corporation, you mm-hmm. know, the one that privatizes prisons and stuff. They made like 643 million dollars in 2013, and most of that revenue came from nonviolent drug offenders.
0: Yeah, totally. And no, the the whole war on drugs thing is just. That it's, was, it's a little
1: out of control, yeah. Definitely That was, a, that
0: was created so they can put make people money. in prison and make money off of for a low offense drug thing, like the fucking joints and shit. I just read a headline currently, like that's happening right now, where there's like trash uh, men or and women, trash people, <laughs> people that pick up your trash, uh, <laughs> are on strike.
1: Sanitation workers. Yeah. yeah,
0: they're on strike, and so I where. Uh, I, that's the part of the story I oh, can't okay. remember, but in, um, I was like
1: shit. Hopefully not here.
0: <laughs> but they're using prison labor to collect. oh, as, as the scabs. Yeah. Oh shit. It's fucked, and they're like the they're like yeah, getting, you can get out. They paid you... like a dollar twenty an hour or something oh, like that. Shit,
1: like, that's fucked.
0: Yeah, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. So I'm gonna take a lot of this from the book, but I'm paraphrasing it. Um, Builtin talks about the numerous hours that Ross spent writing front-end code, back-end code, and code that helps sew those digital dialects together. Literally, did not know what that means. So again, that's I'm getting this straight from the book. Learn to code. Ross was teaching himself all of these programming languages on the fly, technically doing the equivalent of building eBay and Amazon on his own without nearly any help or without knowledge. However, Ross did have a programming friend that he would sometimes fire questions at named Richard Bates. And I got this from a separate article. He does eventually mention him in the book, Mm -hmm. but I wanted to mention it here. This guy, Richard Bates, he's going to eventually turn on Ross and testify against him in court. And this is like a lifelong friend of his. And so, again, there are some things I believe and there are some things I don't believe. I I believe this guy. Because I don't think that Ross could have done this completely, totally on his own. Uh, He obviously had to get some guidance from someone. Well, in
0: the book, he says he had like... Yeah,
1: yeah. And when we haven't gotten to the Silk Road yet. But even when he's just building the website, this guy Richard Bates does help him out. And he eventually does have to kind of tell him about it. Like, he's like, what do you need all this help for? And he's like, I'm building kind of an illegal website. I think he definitely wants to let people in his life know that he is working on something, but he wants them to not know so much that they don't get... You know, so that he wants...
0: To protect them. He like, wants to
1: protect them by giving them as little as possible. Yes, like, he wants to protect the people he loves. So that's what makes it extra crazy when he is caught. All the people that love him are fucking so surprised. Like, they're yeah. shocked. They're just like, what the fuck? He could keep that from us this long? And that's the part I do believe he, he did because... He he was protecting the people in his life by doing this. You know, he wanted to have these big libertarian ideas of a free market. But he also really, really loved people and wanted to keep them safe away from the law. He's a smart guy. Yeah. And a guy with a weird, big, bleeding heart in some ways. And if what we believe to be true, like what what evidence comes up, he's also an asshole, too. So it's it's hard. It's hard to say. Like I said, he tried to keep Bates relatively out of the know, building the website almost completely on his own, even if it was slow going. However, when he did get the website up and working, what drug did he have to sell? So this is when Ross decided to start growing magic mushrooms. Oh, the amount is being described as being able to fill two large trash bags worth. Yes, please. (laughs) The only person he ever shared this like literal like he literally took her there. The only person he ever shared this drug knowledge with was Julia. And he blindfolded her on the way there right. so that to she could have plausible deniability. Yeah, exactly. After his grow operation was done, it almost ended before it even started. There was a flood at the place that he had been renting for like 450 a month. I think it was kind of a shithole cabin 15 minutes away from his house just to keep it far enough away from him that he couldn't be really connected to it, but at the same time close enough that he could drive there daily. When the landlord went in to see the water damage, he saw the mushrooms and wasn't a dummy. So he decided to call Ross first to get his shit out of there. He said to get it out of there before he called the cops. And so in a move, I think in the book they describe like in a move similar to like Breaking Bad, Ross was like peeling out of the the (laughs) rental at the same time that the cops came.
0: Yeah, it sounded like that from the book.
1: Yeah. They were ready to be sold. In February of 2011, the Silk Road website opened. He named it after the Silk Road, an ancient network of trade routes Formerly established during the Han Dynasty of China, which linked the regions of the ancient world in commerce between 130 BCE to 1453 CE. So a very fucking long time. Yeah. And I this is a cool little fact that'll come up later. And I I guess I didn't entirely know this, but the European explorer Marco Polo, which lived from 1254 to 1324 CE, he traveled on these routes. And he wrote a book called The Silk Road. He didn't name it, but that's what he called his book. And cartographers and historians have used his book as a way to map both history and the region. Mm. So it was a very, very, very revolutionary work of its time, document, you know it was just it was very, very important for the time. So that's what Marco Polo did. So keep that in the back of your head as well. But how was he going to drum up the foot traffic that he needed? Where would he get customers? Like we said previously, the dark web isn't something you can just stumble onto. It's a very intentional action you must take to find this place. So Ross decided to go on to the Shroomery Forum, a website dedicated to the magical morsels. Mm-hmm. Registered under the username Altoid, he wrote, I came across a website called The Silk Road. He provided a link to The Silk Road. He did the same on other forums, which we will talk more about later. This was how he got his first guests to the website, that donned the green camel, welcoming them to the Silk Road. And it's funny because the whole time, every single time I would hear that he was like drumming up business, like, hey, did you hear about the Silk Road? Like like it was this thing that already existed, which it hadn't existed yet. It reminds me of that part of Arrested Development when David Cross is Tobias Funke. He's trying to become an actor. And so he goes to like these hollywood agents like offices and he just hangs out by the water cooler and he's all like did you hear about that tobias funke oh, like he's yeah. a real you know it totally i kept imagining ross being by like a water cooler being like hey have you heard of the silk road yeah i heard it's really cool and awesome and you can get all kinds of drugs that you want there you know he's totally like pulling a tobias funke here
0: i had a ex Bandmate that would do that on like oh god message boards but under different
1: oh usernames, yeah, yeah. that's what you're saying. He, and like he would bunch.
0: argue with himself to like hype his other bands,
1: yeah, you've told me about that,
0: so strange,
1: yeah. I guess he did it, I think he did it to like three different websites at least. I think he did it in a Bitcoin forum, the shroomery, and I believe he went on to, and I'm not 100% sure of this. But I think he went on like a heroin like forum.
0: <laughs> they have a they have a.
1: I know that's why it's, message board. It seemed almost too hard to believe. I'm like, who's like talking about like man, I love heroin. I think that they're too strung out. To, like yeah, log like in.
0: drooling and <laughs> pooping their pants.
1: Yeah, so that's the beginning of the story this week. We will continue with the growth of this online black market, as well as how he eventually was brought down. And all of the controversy that surrounds the case even today, many believe that he was a scapegoat or rather an example of what happens to you when you don't obey the laws or laws that they're basically trying to make up.
0: Well, like I said, when you fuck with a gangster's money, they're going to come after you. And the gangster
1: in this is the American government.
0: Yeah, they're the biggest gangsters in the fucking world.
1: Yeah. But we'll leave that up to you to decide once you hear all the facts and evidence that we have drummed up for you. The Silk Road is a windy one. Ooh. So what do you think, Kevin?
0: I think I'd like to place an order for some mushrooms
1: and, heroin. and a side
0: of <laughs> murder.
1: <laughs> I know it's it's crazy. I this is just shit I I know I'm fairly naive. But this is just stuff I don't think about, you know? Like, I, I don't think about doing illegal stuff on a daily basis. Maybe you do.
0: <laughs> I'm so pure.
1: I know. Well, so is he to some degree, but he was doing some crazy shit for such a pure person, you know? Yeah. He just had those really, really gnarly libertarian ideals.
0: Yeah. Keep your laws off my body.
1: Oh, my God. I can't hear that right now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I agree. I as long as people are living responsibly, I think government should fuck off. It's way too big right now, and especially
1: um, right now. And
0: they're basically just robbing us through taxes, and keep,
1: okay,
0: keeping us all locked do down like, in here. And like, uh, oh, do you like paved roads and blah blah? I know blah. that's the
1: argument I always give. I mean, if it wasn't for taxes and socialism, I wouldn't have a job.
0: You would have a job.
1: Maybe not the one
0: you have right now.
1: I wouldn't want to work at a fucking private school. Are you kidding me?
0: You'd work as a butcheress like me.
1: And we would not own the houses that we do.
0: Or we might outright own them because the banks still own our houses.
1: Okay. Well, we'll buy them back in Bitcoin.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Is it too late to get the guy some pizzas? Well, I guess I don't have $87 million. Oh my God, I would
1: love if I fucking had my head out of my ass and bought two pizzas for fucking 10,000 bitcoins 10 years ago. Jesus fuck.
0: <laughs> Indeed. Jesus fuck. Yeah. We'll continue this story. I know it's,
1: this is like the tip of the iceberg right here. Yeah. And I... our show is the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I heard that the other day, but that's... Somebody used that as a metaphor. It may have been shameless. Does that mean
0: we're gonna go down before we get know. to the end of this it's, squirrely it's, tale?
1: I mean, this probably took me like ten hours to research and write just this portion, and then it probably took me another ten to ten hours of research before that. I mean, I've been doing this shit for a week straight, and this this is I got like less than seven pages. You know,
0: She's it's going gnarly. hard. It, I'm yeah. going hard. It's also hard when you are getting sources from all over the place.
1: Well, and also, a lot of these concepts are totally new to us. It's one thing to be like, and then she was martyred. It's like, we all know what murder is. We all know what knives are. We all know what guns are. But, like, I don't know about the dark web. The I don't know blockchain? about Tor. Yeah. I don't know about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and, like, I this shit's hard to research because, also, a lot of it's controversial. A lot of it's hearsay. Yeah.
0: What is this child porn? Shut up! <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, we're learning with you guys. You guys probably know all about it. You can tell us all about it right into our Facebook group and tell us how stupid we are. (laughs) We also post related pictures for the week's episode and discuss other true crime things. Did I mention it was our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group? Yeah. Okay, good. You can also follow us on Twitter at TC Dumpster and on Instagram at True Crime Dumpster you can email us at truecrimedumpster at gmail.com. We also have a website where we post our source info at truecrimedumpster.com as well. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. Lastly, rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast.
1: I also just wanted to say welcome to new listeners. I know we had a couple new listeners on Podbean join and follow us and subscribe. As well as we have a new member on our Facebook page that I was able to corral over from a morbid podcast <laughs> Facebook group. I get we get a lot of listeners, I think, from morbid and case files. So thank you guys for joining us. I really, really love I don't know, I just really like love the online community that you know true crime has kind of created for lack of a better way of saying it especially during a time where I can't hang out with people in real life.
0: Yeah, we're all stuck inside.
1: So, I've become fairly like dependent and not dependent, but I've become fairly excited about about like the groups that I belong to on Facebook. So, thank you guys. I really really yeah. appreciate the support.
0: Welcome aboard. So, tune in next time where we talk out the trash and continue on with the story in part 2. Take care and be safe. We love you. See you next time.
1: Bye. You know who did it. I need drugs. I need drugs.